Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday on Law and Gospel. <clears throat> I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and what we are talking about is referring to emails that we have received to Law and Gospel at lawandgospel101.com. Yesterday, we had quite an interesting discussion about when people say, I am a Christian, what does that mean? Here's an email that we got from Dan. He commented on the discussions of the groups included in the survey numbers, especially the born again. He is an LCMS Lutheran and considers himself born again through baptism. Please provide a clarification. Yes, this is a seven page survey. And so we weren't able to really make it that clear as to what the survey is saying. They divide people up into, first of all, those who identify themselves as Christians. The percent of adults in the United States, they say is 69%, which is 176 million Christians. But then they have four categories under that. First is self-identified born-again Christians then self-identified evangelical Christians, then theologically born-again Christians, and finally integrated disciples. Okay, so you heard again, born-again Christians under two categories. How do they describe self-identified Christians? Well, that's the largest of the various Christian segments evaluated. And in total, about seven out of every 10 adults in the 69% adopt the label Christian to identify their faith. So the self-identified, though, entertain a wide range of perspectives that are not in harmony with biblical teachings. And among those errors, 72% of the self-identified born-again Christians, they believe that people are basically good. In other words, they deny original sin. 71% consider feelings, experience, or the input of friends and family as their most trusted sources of moral guidance. 66% say that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. That sounds like the ELCA we talked about yesterday who had people of various faiths, and they say it doesn't matter. 
if you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Jew or a Muslim, if you have faith, then we're all of equal value. 58% believe that if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way to heaven. And 58% of these people who call them self-identified born-again Christians contend the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is only a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. And they are also likely to reject a number of biblical teachings and principles. Less than half believe that the marriage of one man to one woman is God's plan for humanity. 40% believe that when they die, they will go to heaven, but only because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus as their Savior. And therefore, they also one-third, 32% believe, premarital sex is morally unacceptable, which means that 68% thinks it is acceptable. And that's what we would talk about as self-identified, born-again Christians. But then they talk about another category, and those are theological born-again Christians. So how do they describe them? Those are those who theological positions place them in the born-again category, and it sounds like they're very similar, but they're not. Theologically born-again Christians in contrast to those who say they're born again, are those who say that when they die, they will go to heaven, but only because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That reliance on Jesus Christ as Savior is definitely a game changer. Compared to the self-identified born-again believers, the theologically defined born-again group is substantially more likely to believe the following. 84% believe that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, and just creator of the universe who still rules the universe today. 74% believe that the Bible is the accurate and reliable words of God. Now, theologically defined born-again adults are significantly less than self-identified born-again believers to adopt counter-biblical beliefs, such as the following. 56% say that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. 54% accept feelings, experience, 
and the input of friends and family as their most trusted sources of moral guidance. 51% say that all religious faiths are of equal value. 50% contend the Holy Spirit is not a real living being. 40% say there is no absolute moral truth. 37% believe that if a person is good enough, they can earn their way into heaven. And 31% believe that the Bible is ambiguous in its teachings about abortion. So, though they sound similar, the self-defined born-again group is more liberal than the theologically defined born-again group. They do not virtually hold identical points of view uh, regarding traditional marriage. The theologically born-again body is the most likely of the four segments to reflect biblical perspectives, yet only 19% of theologically born believe a biblical worldview. Now, that is in contrast to their fourth category. They call them integrated disciples because they have a biblical worldview. Now, I believe that members of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we believe that we are born again through baptism, as Jesus says in John chapter 3, and that baptism gives us an assurance of the forgiveness of sins and so forth. So, Compared to the other four Christian segments, individuals holding the biblical worldview are more likely to hold biblical beliefs regarding a large range of issues. And that's why I have put the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in this category, because we believe we're born again, but we're not in the born-again other two categories that are described. They would say, and this is the integrated disciples, 99% believe the Bible is the accurate and reliable word of God. 99% believe that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, and just creator of the universe who still rules the universe today. 99% say they have a unique God-given calling. We call that a vocation. And people have various vocations. Vocation means to call. And God calls, like myself, I am a son, I am a grandson, I am a father, I am a husband, I am a pastor, I am a citizen, and you can just keep on going. And when you look at your various vocations, each have different privileges and responsibilities. And so that's something we teach in the church 
a God-given calling. 99% say they intentionally try to avoid sinning because, and I found this interesting, not because they think it's wrong, but because they know it hurts God. Now, that shows that these integrated disciples do many good works because of their love for God, because when they sin, they understand they are hurting God. 96% claim that every moral choice either honors or dishonors God. And 88% believe that God has a reason for everything. Now, even though they are not in perfect unison with the scriptures on some issues, only small minorities of integrated disciples, less than one out of every 10, hold unscriptural positions on a variety of matters. 4% accept feelings, experience, and the input of friends and family as their most trusted sources of moral guidance. And I would definitely put in the media, television, and some radio stations that people trust for moral guidance, which is contrary to the scripture. 5% of these integrated Christians believe that if a person is good enough, they can earn their way to heaven. 8% believe the Bible is ambiguous in its teaching about abortion. And 9% say that all religious faiths are of equal value. And that's with integrated Christians. So 25% say there is no absolute moral truth. 39% contend the Holy Spirit is not real. 42% believe that having faith matters more than which faith you pursue. And 52% argue that people are basically good. So this is a real difference. We, we can also take a look at those who are considered to be liberal in their views of morality, moderate and conservative. Among self-identified Christians, 32% are liberal. Self-identified born-again Christians, 28% are liberal self-identified or theologically born Christians, 23%, and integrated disciples, only 5% are liberal. The integrated disciples are 82% conservative. So what we're trying to do is move self-identified Christians from being self-identified simply because they say they're born again or that they're evangelical or that they're even theologically born 
to move them to integrated disciples. Integrated disciples possess a biblical worldview, and therefore they would reject evolution for what the Bible says is six-day, 24-hour creation. That's what we mean, a biblical worldview. The integrated disciples also believe what the Apostles' Creed teaches, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he, yes, did die on the cross, but he also rose from the dead. And a lot of people have trouble with that. They can't imagine anybody rising from the dead. So I hope this helps clarify the distinction between self-identified born-again Christians and theologically born-again Christians. I, I would use different categories, but what is helpful here is when you're talking with someone, you can decide which category they fit in because of how they speak about the Bible, how they speak about Jesus Christ, etc. Now, that's important for a pastor to know. In adult instruction, if someone just identifies himself as a born-again Christian, he's got a lot more to hear than someone who is theologically a born-again Christian. And an integrated disciple is very close to being confirmed. So that's the reason why these are very important. The, the problem is, on the radio as we are, that you're talking to all five categories. And so it's difficult to know your audience as to who is listening. So you have to kind of say things in such a way that it attracts somebody from each of those categories that the survey has shown. So that's a real interesting survey, and we hope that we'll be able to use it and help us to witness to individuals who are members of those various items. Now, we've been talking about wisdom. We're doing a study on the book of Proverbs. And the big point in the book of Proverbs is that Proverbs isn't written to convert unbelievers to faith. It is written to help believers understand the will of God. So you need to be a believer to understand the book of Proverbs. And even there, there's a lot to know because many people don't know the culture of that day. They don't know the original Hebrew that the Bible was written in. And they don't know the New Testament passages that often reflect what Proverbs has to say. Well, one of the points we made again and again is that man's wisdom is different than God's wisdom. God's wisdom is spiritually discerned. Man's wisdom does not need any spiritual discernment. 
So I received this email from an individual who was talking about that the word courage is really important. He says, when I hear the word courage, I think of having the courage to be vulnerable with your audience and get real with them. Here's what comes to my mind when I think about the word courage. This is this writer. It applies to building a successful business and communicating effectively with your people. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he writes, most people only want to show the good side of their business. You know, nobody likes to say, oh boy, my business is kind of falling apart. They think that if they share any details about how things are not perfect, people won't believe them. They won't take them seriously. And he says, this holds especially true when selling products. Businesses feel that they must make out as if things always function perfectly and nothing ever goes wrong. The truth is, it takes courage to share when things aren't perfect and things are going wrong. From my experience, he writes, when you have the courage to share things that don't go well, it makes you more human. It makes you more believable. And people will love you for it. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to whine about your business because nobody loves a whiner. The bottom line for all of us, have courage to be vulnerable with your stories and the details you share. Doing so will draw people closer to you when you do it right. So here's your assignment, he says. Tell a story about how something didn't go right or a time that you looked foolish and how you overcame it. Share the pain and the ultimate triumph. Your vulnerability will make you human. Your triumph will make you a hearer in the eyes of your listeners. So this is the wisdom of man. You are vulnerable because as he says, when you go vulnerable, it makes you more believable. People will love you for it. Do you notice what he's saying? This is the wisdom of man. Why does a Christian speak about at times being vulnerable? We can do so also, but our motivation is totally different. Because sometimes our vulnerability doesn't lead to a triumphant end. He always talks about and show the triumph you made when you were vulnerable. What happens if you're so vulnerable that the business falls apart and you have to sell it? 
Well, a Christian has a totally different understanding of that than does a person using the wisdom of the world. A person using the wisdom of the world is trying to be vulnerable, appearing to be vulnerable, so people will think you're more human, that people will love you for it. So his point is, you need to learn how to be vulnerable with your stories. And then that way in sharing your pain and the ultimate triumph, if there is one, your vulnerability will make you human. Now that's not what we would want to do from a Christian point of view. We don't want to appear to be vulnerable so people will love us. We want, if we're going to be vulnerable, to explain how even through that vulnerability, Jesus guides us. Now, obviously, the writer has a bigger purpose. By the way, he says, if you'd like some help learning how to create amazing sales copy, I'd love to give you a copy of my book. And he talks about his book that 82,000 people have read to help them get more clicks, more sales, more profits, no matter what you sell. And I believe it'll help you so much. I'm willing to give you a copy. Of course, you need to pay a small shipping and handling fee, which probably is what the book is worth. But here's a great example of the wisdom of man who thinks that you will be loved by being more vulnerable. And therefore your vulnerability is something you practice in order to get more sales. That's the wisdom of men. I'm Tom Baker, and on Monday's Long Gospel, we'll talk about a, another Bible verse for the following week, which helps us to understand the distinctions between law and gospel and God's wisdom. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.